Okay, the first reading comes from 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, and is found on page 434 of the Church Bibles. Oh, it's behind on screen. So that's 1 Chronicles, chapter 29, starting at verse 10. David praised the Lord in the presence of the whole assembly, saying, Praise to be to you, O Lord, God of our father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the majesty and the splendor, for everything in heaven and earth is yours. Yours, O Lord, is the kingdom. You are exalted as head over it. Wealth and honour come from you. You are the ruler of all things. In your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. Now, our God, we give you thanks and praise your glorious name. But who am I and what are my people that we should be able to give us generously as this? Everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. We are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. I know, my God, that you test the heart and are pleased with integrity, and all those things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. O Lord God of our fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you. And our second reading is taken from the Acts of the Apostles in the New Testament. It can be found on page 1113 in the Church Bibles. Acts 17, verses 22 through to 31. 1, 1, 1, 3. Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Aragopagus and said, Men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship, I even found an altar with this inscription, to an unknown God. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and does not live in temples built by hands. And he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything, because he himself gives men life, or men life and breath and everything else. For from one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the times set for them, and the exact places where they should live. God did this so that men would seek him, and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. For in him we live and move and have our being. And as some of your own poets have said, we are his offspring. Therefore, since we are God's offspring, 
we should not think that the divine being is like gold or silver or stone, an image made by man's design and skill. In the past, God overlooked such ignorance, but now he commands all people everywhere to repent. For he has set a day when he will judge the world with justice by the man he has appointed. He has given proof of this to all men by raising him from the dead. This is the word of the Lord. moment of quiet. Heavenly Father, we thank you for these passages, pointing our hearts to you. Help us, like your people of old, to give our hearts wholeheartedly to you. Just teach us now from these passages, we pray. Amen. Okay, I'm going to focus on the uh, passage in 1 Chronicles 29.10. So if you could turn back to page 434. Sorry, guys. Back to page 434. 434. 1 Chronicles 29, verses 10 and following. That's page 434. You got it? Okay, excellent. So I'm going to use that passage as we go through... When I call out a verse, if you look at the verse, you'll see the bit that I'm reading. Okay. So last week, we looked at the start of 1 Chronicles 29, and um, we saw that God gave a vision to King David and to his son Solomon to build a glorious temple, temple to God's glory, a temple to be a house of prayer for all nations. And then we saw in the passage from Acts that we read, Acts 11, that God had given a vision to, um, to the followers of Jesus to be uh, going throughout the world, sharing uh, his good news of forgiveness, following Christ faithfully anywhere that he called, and living out their faith courageously. And we remembered that God has also given us a vision a vision to build a house of prayer and worship, contemporary house of prayer and worship for Portsmouth, and to follow Jesus deeper and further. If you weren't here last week, and I know that a few of you weren't, then uh, you won't have had one of our uh, vision brochures. So if I could ask Jit to pass those round. Put your hand up if you didn't get one of these last week, and uh, Jit will get to you and share that with you. So today, we hear the next section of uh, 1 Chronicles 29, and we discover the response of David and his people to the vision that God gave them. Well, here is King David. He's on this big, flat piece of land that he plans to build this great temple in, to God's glory, and he's surrounded by sacks of offerings, sacks of gold and silver and onyx, and turquoise. Amazing. And uh, I've been asked to say that if your plan is to match 
fund with the, uh, with the ancient people of God, the ancient Israelites, um, and you're going to bring 110 tons of gold. Uh, please don't bring it in plastic bags, and don't leave it on the dais here, otherwise you'll crush it, and uh, Janet, our cashier, is going to need some help getting it all safely to the bank, please. That would be great. Well, you'd think that David's first response on seeing all of this amazing stuff that's been brought up would be, guys, that is amazing. You have been so generous. Thank you so much. But in fact, it isn't. The first generosity that David wants to point out and to recognize is the generosity of God. It's God's generosity which makes all of this giving possible. We don't usually think of that, but it's true nonetheless. It's God who created the gold and silver, the turquoise and the onyx. It's God who gave those precious things to his people. And it's God who gave them the generosity to share all of that for the building of the temple. As we think today about responding to God's vision, that's a very significant starting point for us. God created everything. Everything that you have, God created. So you have a wallet made of leather, perhaps. Leather made by God. And in it, you've got paper money. Well, for the moment, might not be paper much longer, but paper made by God. Or perhaps you use plastic money. Plastic, made by God. Everything we have, God has made. There's nothing that we have that God didn't create. So verse 10, verse 10. David says, Praise be to you, O Lord, God our Father Israel, from everlasting to everlasting. Yours, O Lord, is the greatness, the power, the glory, the majesty, and the splendor. You have created everything. So God creates everything, but more than that, he owns everything. So going on to verse 11, for everything in heaven and on earth is yours. And more than that, everything that you have has been given to you by God. He gave you the job that you have and the skills to do it or the relationships through which you gain the wealth that you have. Verse 12, wealth and honor come from you, Lord God. Verse 14, everything comes from you and we have given you only what comes from your hand. And more than that, God has given you the life without which you couldn't have any possessions. And he gave life to those who have given you the wealth that you have to pay you or pay for you. And he sustains you in your life to enable you to enjoy the possessions that you have. Verse 12, in your hands are strength and power to exalt and give strength to all. And more even than that, God has given you of himself in his Son. That through the Father's reconciling love and the Son's self-sacrificing suffering, you might receive relationship with him. 
which gives meaning to your possessions and gives enduring significance for your use of them. Because without God's love, verse 15, we are aliens and strangers in your sight, as were all our forefathers. Our days on earth are like a shadow without hope. And so, to our surprise, the huge generosity of David's people isn't actually a blessing to God. God doesn't need their giving at all. All they have is already his, and there's plenty more where that came from. And if there wasn't, he could just go out and create it. Verse, four, verse 16. O Lord our God, as for all this abundance that we have provided for building you a temple for your holy name, it comes from your hand, and all of it belongs to you. No. Their generous giving is a blessing to them, to God's people. It brings them into intimate fellowship with God. It expresses their gratitude for his generosity. It gives them the privilege of sharing in God's ministry, in partnering God in his purposes. Verse 13, so now, our God, we give you thanks and we praise your glorious name. My father used to love DIY projects, and I loved doing them with him as well. And I can vividly remember him teaching me how to paint, uh, gloss paint a door. So lots of gloss paint on your, on your brush, long strokes down the door, and then very, very delicate, gentle, faint diagonal strokes to take out the long furrows that you've created downwards and allow the, the, the gloss paint to flow smoothly together. And then taking out the, uh, the, the little dribbles of paint collecting in the corners underneath. It was his paint that I was using and his paintbrushes that I was wrecking. And he could have done a far better job of painting that door than I could. But for some very strange reason, he seemed to enjoy having me join him and do it. And I discovered why when I too became a father. In days of yore, when times were hard in the vicarage, and there wasn't always enough money to, to do the um, exciting day out that we thought we might have planned, we decided we couldn't go, we didn't have enough money. Occasionally, from time to time, one of our children would bring to us their carefully treasured and hoarded pocket money and offer it for the family's use. It was only money that we'd given them, and we'd only have to give them more money when they'd given it back to us. And it was so small an amount, it couldn't possibly make a difference to, to the plans that we had. But it was given with love, and it was given with generosity, and it was given with a desire to help. And so it was incredibly precious to us, far more precious than the actual amount of money that was given. Our Heavenly Father does not need our gifts, but he loves to receive them. 
Paul says much the same things to the Athenians. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth and doesn't live in temples built by hands. He's not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men life and breath and everything else. In fact, Paul goes a step further. The chief gift that God longs for, wants of us, isn't our money or our possessions. It's our worship. It's our allegiance. It's our lives. Tragically, far from seeing money as a gift given to us by God, it's very, very easy for us to begin to see money as a God. Something that we build our life around. Something that we sacrifice our values and our families for. Making it the highest priority in our life. That's idolatry. Putting something else in the place of God. God used to be rather more sympathetic, Paul says, in the days when people were more ignorant. But now we've no excuse. In Christ, he has shown us the truth about himself proving it through the resurrection and commanding all people everywhere to repent before the day of judgment that he has set, judgment to be made in his son. We mustn't let that day catch us unawares. We mustn't go on pushing God away, keeping him at arm's length. If that's what you've been doing, putting something else, like money perhaps, in the place of God, then I appeal to you, please, please consider joining Adam on his Alpha course starting this Tuesday. A great way of discovering who is this Jesus who might be king. It's by far the most important response that you could make on this response Sunday to take away whatever else is on the throne in your life and to make Jesus king. Of course, great way of breaking the power, the idolatrous power of money, for instance, in our lives, is to give it away. And if we give it to Jesus, King Jesus then we demonstrate that not money, but he is the king in our life. And since Jesus himself gave so generously to us on the cross, it shouldn't be that difficult to give what we have back to him. And for the quality of our giving to begin to reflect the quality of his giving to us, the quality of giving that David King David describes in the passage. In verse 17, firstly, we should be giving, like King David, like King Jesus, with integrity. 
I know, my God, says David, that you test the heart, this is verse 17, you test the heart and are pleased with integrity. Jesus gave with integrity, not for himself, but for his Father and for us, for love of us. King David gave with integrity that everything he had should be for the glory of God. Are we giving with integrity to fulfill Jesus' purposes and usher in his kingdom? Or are we giving in order to look good and to seem important? Are we giving what God is calling us to give in proportion to his generosity to us? Or are we just giving away loose change? Are we giving what we promised to give? Or are we backtracking on the things that we have offered or promised in the past? Secondly, David says, we should be giving willingly. Verse 17 carries on. All these things have I given willingly. Are we grudging in our giving, bamboozled by the preacher? Or are we giving willingly, gladly, with open hearts towards our God? And thirdly, says David, we should be giving joyfully. Verse 17 ends, And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Are we joyful in our giving? Do we enjoy giving to God? Are we rejoicing when we see other people giving to our king as well? In fact, seeing Jesus as king completely transforms the way we understand this passage in 1 Chronicles 29. If it's Jesus who's king, not David, then Jesus, far more than David, has already mustered all the resources that he needs in order to fulfill his vision through us. And he's given, of course, way beyond that, pouring out the gold and silver of his sacrifice in order to embellish the worship of the house of prayer and worship that he's planning to build through us. If it's Jesus, not David, who's king in this passage, then it's Jesus who is calling us to glorify his Father's generosity and to respond generously in our turn. It's Jesus who, seeing our generosity, gives thanks to God for enabling us the joy of um, giving, of sharing in God's work, of seeing the day of his vision drawing closer. Verse 17, Jesus says, All these things have I given willingly and with honest intent. And now I have seen with joy how willingly your people who are here have given to you. Do you want to give joy to your King Jesus? How could you not? Well, giving generously brings him joy. Just as our children's generosity gives us joy. That's what today's response day is all about. It's about us putting a smile on King Jesus' face as we offer him the cream of our hearts and the fruit of our lives. And then it's Jesus who prays for us now in the words of verse 18 and 19. O oh Lord God, Keep this desire in the hearts of your people forever and keep their hearts loyal to you and give their leaders the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, requirements and decrees 
and do everything to fulfill the vision for which I have provided. In fact, as I begin my sabbatical in about an hour and a half's time, <laughs> as I ask you to support your leaders, Jit and Andy and church wardens, David and Philippa, I couldn't think of a better prayer to be offering for you than this prayer of King David for his people, King Jesus for his church. Let me pray for you now. O oh Lord God, my heavenly Father, give to these, your people, the courage and the generosity to respond to your call. Keep the hearts of these, your people, loyal to you. And give them the wholehearted devotion to keep your commands, your requirements, and your decrees. And to do everything that's necessary to fulfill the vision that you have given to them and for which you have provided them with such glorious resources. And then, in verse 20, the king, Jesus, says to the whole assembly, praise the Lord your God. So they all praised the Lord, the God of their fathers. They bowed low and they fell prostrate before the Lord and before their king, Jesus. In 1 Chronicles 29, these are the last words that King David uses, that he speaks to his people before he dies. Praise the Lord, your God. And there could be no more fitting words for me to say to you as my last words to you before my sabbatical. Praise the Lord, your God. Amen. and also being given one of these forms, my response to God. And it might be that you've come with one of those forms filled in, ready to give, and there'll be a chance to do that in just a moment. But it may be here that you never had a chance to pick up one of those forms and you feel that actually you would like to make a response, both worshipping with our lips as we've been doing this evening and with some of the most precious things we have in our lives. And so if that's you and you haven't had one of these forms, can I just ask you to raise your hand and we'll give you one? Oh, there are a couple there. I'll do one between you. Okay. Well, we're going to leave a moment now just for us to pray and to ask God to impress those words on our hearts and ask him what's the right response that we should be making. And then Steve is going to come uh, down the centre aisle here with a basket. And if you've got a response form, uh, do put it in that basket. It may be that you have done that already this morning, and in which case you don't need to put a duplicate in. Uh, one is sufficient.
but if you come here with one already, please do put it in. And also, over the next weeks, do hand one into the office if you haven't got it here right now. But a moment, actually. We want everyone to make a decision with integrity, just as Mike was saying, willingly. So we're just going to leave a moment of quiet, and then Steve will come down.